0: Expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. Business is a fluid, crazy fun thing to be involved in. The number one thing leaders have to do is they have to take care of themselves. People have to catch on fire from you because the closer you get to the goal, the more light is shed on what needs to be done. You put one good habit in place, it will chase a bad habit out the back door.
1: so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. My goal with this podcast is to expose you to incredible entrepreneurs so that you can hear more about the mindset behind their success, as well as some of the tactics that have allowed them to achieve the success. If you've ever gotten value from this or if you get value from this episode, I encourage you to like, subscribe, and especially to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that it can help other aspiring entrepreneurs to have the kinds of success that these ones have had. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode. I guess the best place to start is just a little bit about how you got into this initially. How did you first start coaching and consulting on this and, and what led you there?
0: Well, just like most people, I got my very first job. And, you know, a long, long time ago, Brody, I got my very first job. And I worked in a wonderful place that had a wonderful culture. And inside that culture, it was a little Baskin Robbins store in Tremainesville, on Tremainesville Road in Toledo, Ohio. But I worked for a wonderful leader. um, And his name was Mr. Sansone. And he um, told me this really important thing, Brody, which I thought was great. He said, Nicole, if you come work here, it's really important that you understand one thing. And I said, well, what's that? You know, I'm just a a baby, he's like 16 years old. And he says, um, there are four families that depend on this business to work, to keep a roof over their head and the electricity on. And I was like, oh, this is, must be more serious than I thought, you know, scooping ice cream. And he's, he was like, you know, it's very important that we, you know, exercise business acumen and that we treat each other kindly and that we take care of each other. And when you leave this store, you have it ready for the next person to come in. So right out of the gate, he told me that, you know, this is a business, but businesses support families and people that work here. And that was such a. I can't even imagine a better beginning to a career, even though it was at the Baskin-Robbins and Tremaine'sville Road, Toledo, Ohio.
1: I think it's very interesting what he did there. He just set he set the stage and set the expectation. Could you talk a little bit about what what the best practices are when you're setting the expectation for a new employee?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, first of all, I want to give you a little quote, if I might. Can I do that real quick? Get your pens out, everybody, because everybody (laughs) loves this quote. Uh, Okay, good. Uh, It goes like this. Uh, Uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. And so Isn't that good? I'll say it again because it's got a lot of SAT words in it. Uh, (laughs) Uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. So, you know, a lot of times leaders will say something to me and and, 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 in essence, they're kind of complaining or, you know, be, you know, like kind of, you know, um, muttering about like how things are. And if things aren't the way that you want them, it's because you haven't communicated what how you want them and i think the vast majority of our employees want to know the expectations because if we know them, we know how to hit the target. We know how to get to the goal. And so setting those out is really important. So I'm going to keep talking about Mr. Sandzone because he was such a good example. So he told me that. The other thing that he did is when he kind of onboarded me in this little ice cream store in Ohio, um, he said, I'm going to give you um, your uniform and I'd like you to go into the employee bathroom and I'd like you to put it on and let's talk about your uniform. And I was like, Okay, you know, cuz what do I know? I'm 16, so I go put my little uniform on. And if you if for for all of you that are over 40 uh, listening, I mean, like I had brown, chocolate brown pants on. I had on a hot pink shirt that was, you know, had a big logo that said 31 flavors and I had a ball cap that was chocolate brown with the same logo. And he said, I want you to come out here and take a look at yourself in the mirror. And he had a little mirror, you know, one of those full-size mirrors you put on the back of your bedroom door. And he says, I want you to look at yourself. He said, I want you to have all of this on every time you come. And do you see how this is not wrinkled and it's clean? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, that's exactly how I want you to look. He said, there's only one thing missing. I need you to buy some black tennis shoes with non-skid soles. (laughs) I said, okay. You know, and so, I mean, I just, this is thought how, this is how work is, you know, that you get these very clear directions. And so, I mean, I heard him loud and clear. Don't come in here with a uniform that just, You know came out of the dryer after sitting in there for three weeks it was all in a ball you know come in here wrinkle free and clean and ready to go to work so i i think it's about communicating um you know having one-on-one time one of the biggest mistakes people make brody that i see in businesses is they hire somebody new and they send them an electronic now we send people an electronic employee handbook and they sign on their computer. They don't even use a real pen anymore. They sign on their computer that they received it. Now, just ask yourself, how many people read this thing? None. Right. Nobody's reading it. And so we have uncommunicated expectations. Um, Now you can say, well, it was in the book, but it's a whole different thing to like, sit with somebody and go through it. So whenever I talk with HR professionals um, and leaders, I say, you know, you gotta go through the employee handbook page by page. And they're like, page by page. And I'm like, yes, because people might have a question. They might have a concern. Get it addressed up front and then you won't have problems six weeks from now. And then you'll be irritated because you'll be, you know, disappointed because you had uncommunicated expectations. So I think that's number one. Um, and then I think also the other uh, tip I would give or strategy I would give around setting up proper expectations is, you know, how you, you answer an ad to get a job and it's, it's a lot of times a lot like the job description. Hopefully it's not exactly the same. Hopefully the recruiters do a little better job than just posting the job description, but. You get this job description. Uh, I think it's really important once the person's hired to go through it again, line by line and say, you know, Hey, here's what your job involves. You know, what resources do you need for me? Um, What are your thoughts? What are your concerns? And, and here's the thing, Brody, at the bottom of every job description, uh, we all know what it says down there. It says, and anything else your leader needs you to do and i think instead of glossing over that one last little line that's on the bottom of those job descriptions we need to say let me tell you what that means in my mind what it means in my mind is that your job in 21st century america is going to morph and change maybe weekly daily it just depends on what's going on with our business and i need you to be agile so i'm not saying that i'm going to you know, pay you the same money and increase your workload by two. But there might be days that it feels like that because we got an order or or we got an opportunity that we have to seize. And so I need you to be okay with that. And you're like on day one, day two of somebody's employment and you ask them that, are you okay with that? You know what they usually say? They go, sure. (laughs) Now, if they've been working there eight months, they might not say sure. Uh, So you gotta get people, acclimated to your way of thinking and you know tell them what might come and that business is a fluid crazy fun thing to be involved in it's not predictable
1: it certainly is not i think that's really (laughs) important just setting setting those expectations it's um it it creates the the actual day-to-day expectation that that they're going to be going through do you have any kind of frameworks or or thoughts around the best way to, to walk through that now, like any, any frameworks that come to mind that you think help guide that conversation.
0: Well, you know, I, I think that you need to have an onboarding uh, program, and you need to have something laid out. Now, I do have a coaching methodology, and whenever I think about a process or or a way that I do things, uh, I always think through my Shine coaching methodology. So I put this together for years. Like in 2007, I got my co- my first coaching certificate, and I, everybody listening go get an international coaching federation coaching program under your belt it will change your life i became such a better person brody once i got through coaching for a couple of reasons one it makes you so aware of the fact that you have potential i mean you as a business owner listening to this You have so much potential to grow your business way past what you thought um, or to start the new one that you're thinking about after you get help from Brody or whatever, Um, you know, and, and the people that work for you have so much untapped potential, but a lot of us are just on autopilot. Um, And the second reason coaching is so fantastic is that during the coaching program, you practice on each other. So I got so much coaching, (laughs) it was crazy. So I became a better person. All right. So my methodology is shine. So if I sit down to talk with anybody ever, my child, my husband, or an employee, a coworker, a peer, I'm going to take them through a a process of self-assessment, which is the S. I'm going to ask them about their habits, which is the H. I'm going to talk to them about the I, which is integrity N next right steps. And then finally the E energy. So I put together my own coaching process because I kept seeing patterns. And, and one of the things that I love about self-assessment is instead of me sitting down with an employee and saying, um, this is how you're doing. And me doing a lot of telling it's better for me to do this. How do you think you're doing? What's going on with your position? How, you know, if it's onboarding, how have the first three days been? What has been your experience? What are you learning? Right? So it's not so much that I want to tell, tell, tell in the beginning. I want to ask the questions so that my new employee is thinking and self-assessing. I guess I'm doing pretty good because I met everybody and I learned how to do this process, or I ran the cash register by myself, or I have been answering the phone by myself, whatever their new task is. When people stop and look in the mirror and say, see how they're doing, you know who they see? They see themselves. And Instead of looking around for somebody else to be responsible for their progress, they look at themselves for their progress. And when I look at myself for my progress, I take ownership of my progress. So that's the S.
1: I love it. I have an idea if you're open to it for kind of showing like a real world example of this. Let's say say that you've decided that there's just, there's too many people coming in to possibly keep up with all of it yourself. A lot of people all of a sudden really, really wanna get some coaching from you on their business and you decide you're going to hire an executive assistant and this is your interview right now or or maybe you've just decided that you're going to hire me as an executive assistant to to manage some of your incoming calls and emails and requests how might you structure the conversation with me on on day one?
0: Oh my gosh i love that okay so there is a, a co- every coach should have a coach or hypocrite. Dare I say that, Brody? (laughs) Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, you need coaching if I'm not getting it myself. So I have a coach and my coach is, uh, Dan Sullivan and his company's called the strategic coach. And I have been coached by them, um, for about six years now, I guess. And one of the tools that, um, I got from strategic coach was this tool called the impact filter. And the impact filter is so valuable because what it does is it says, what are we trying to impact? So instead of what's the task, what are we trying to impact? So uh, the first line on there is what is it that we're, you know, that we're impacting and what we're impacting, if you were going to take my phone calls for me, because I'm so busy over here coaching, I can't answer my phone anymore. uh, The impact is that you're going to have an impact on the first impression of everybody who makes a phone call and you are going to have an impact on my life because you're going to handle it professionally. You're going to get the proper information. And you're going to do all of this, um, as a total professional, right? So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing that we do is we kind of go to the future and we envision. So well, wh- how will Brody behave? What will his conduct be? What will his tasks be? How will he do it? Right? So let's paint a little picture. So what has to be, uh, what, what has to be true? about this this thing so i would say well you have to answer the phone within two rings you have to smile when you answer the phone because you can answer the phone like this hello and you can answer the phone like this hello right so i mean i have to be so dialed in i have to again set those expectations and so i say you know what what does it need to look like so i get that written down then we move into what has to be true for this to be um real, proper, good, excellent. And so we go through and we we write down what the criteria is. So we write down, you know, the customer's happy. Nicole is happy. The CRM is filled out. You know, we go through and we figure out all the things and it's not difficult to do. It just takes a little bit of time. And this is very important. Discipline to sit your fanny in a chair and think about what it is you want Brody to do then you're going to have just sit your fanny in a chair again and get Brody in there, get his fanny in a chair. And then we're going to go through it and we're going to have a dialogue about it. Um, so I think a lot of times there's all this email going back and forth and go check the portal and the whatever Microsoft Apple thing for the details, but they, they are never as communicated as effectively as if we can paint a picture of success for people, we can lay out the success criteria, And we sit with people and have a conversation for a hot minute. You know, if I did that with you to answer my phone, I think you'd be very successful very quickly. Now at the bottom of the impact filter, there's two questions that are so, so important. The bottom, it says, what is the best outcome if Brody gets this strategy down pat? Answering the phone for Nicole, taking phone calls for Nicole. Well, the best thing that could happen is that Nicole could have more clients, earn more money, have her calendar full, raise her rates, give Brody a promotion. I mean, like, you know, you can dream up anything you want about what's the best scenario from this, but all of those things are true. If Brody's doing a fantastic job keeping that customer happy and we're booking coaching sessions like mad people around here, um, all that could happen. And then you answer, ask the final question, what's the worst thing that could happen if Brody does not do this well and don't miss that you're sitting with Brody while he's, well, while, while we're talking about this. And so I say, here's the worst thing that could happen Brody is that you make people upset. They give us a bad Google review. They go on to Yelp and give us a bad review there too. They start talking bad about us everywhere and we go out of business. You know, and whenever I do this little exercise with people, that's always the final thing. We go out of business. But it's true. I mean, if you can't answer the phone correctly and you can't secure business, that's exactly what happens. So, uh, you know, that's a great little tool. To use real time, uh, and you you can just listen to the questions I asked and write them down, or you can you can email me Nicole at Vibrant Culture, and I'll share it.
1: I love that. That's such a good framework, the uh, the impact filter, because I think it when you do see it through that lens, and you do see that your actions directly have an influence on the business as a whole, I think it makes mm-hmm. it a lot more comprehensible to the person that is thinking about their job. They start, rather than thinking of it through this narrow scope of I'm doing this job and if I don't do my job, I don't know, that my job just doesn't get done. They see it as if I don't get my job done, the business doesn't succeed. It reminds me of, uh, some, I was just at a conference and I heard Jocko Willink speak.
0: Oh my. He, he
1: was fantastic. He, I he bet. He spoke a lot about leadership and, and how it, the lessons that he's learned extend to the world of business. And one thing he talked about is how he, he called it cover and move. And if you, if you think about kind of a, a gunfight where there's, they're covering for someone and then the other person moves to the next station and they cover for the person so that they can move. He talked about how, if they do not, if one of them breaks the chain and they don't cover for the others, then they let them get taken out and then they don't have cover for them to move. And so. The point was if everyone doesn't do their job, then no one succeeds. And I think being oh, able to right. communicate it in that way and show the actual impact through the impact filter paints the entire picture of this is an entire ecosystem and a team and this is your role in it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was having a whole James Bond moment in my mind when you were talking about cover and move and like James Bond is not for real, everybody like, you know, real humans have to cover and move. I mean, only James Bond can like, you know, snip the cords to the bomb in the last, you know, 10th of a second. I mean, that's just really not happening out there in the world. Um, So yes, we need each other. You cannot be some rogue James Bond, although I do love James Bond.
1: (laughs) Now we talked about the shine framework. I think that was really a a great way of thinking about how to set the stage and how to have that conversation. What about how to affect the culture on a day to day basis? What are some things that someone should be thinking about as far as what what their best practices are? What types of things they need to be doing on a day to day basis?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to keep weaving in kind of some of the things from the Shine Coaching Methodology because I think that they match with the question that you're asking. Um, so you know, number one, um, we are doing daily coaching with people. We're letting people know if their behavior, if their task, if their achievements uh, are you know, helping the organization or hurting the organization, okay? So I I think giving people a lot of real-time feedback is important. So I'm gonna tell you about a little book. It's an old book. It's called, How Full Is Your Bucket? And so (laughs) this book, I don't know. I don't know when it was written. We should Google it. But anyways, it's it's a, a long time ago. And so this little book is a gem though, because in the book it says that every human is wandering around in your organization, in your culture, and their emotional bank account is either full or somewhere between full and empty okay and people who become vibrant okay means that they're lit from within they are ex- they're happy excited and love working with you right that's a vibrant employee when it's like oh my gosh what are we doing today what's happening today oh we got a new project fantastic you know like these kind of attitudes and energy so If, if I have Brody on my team and he's doing a great job and I catch him doing a great job, uh, I say something to him, but I don't say good job, Brody, because he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Now I think he's like, well, of course I'm, I'm awesome, but he, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. So I have to give very specific feedback. Okay. So I give him very specific feedback and he hears what I have to say. And he goes up the feeling scale like by a bump, his emotional bank account goes up by a bump. Now here's, here's the thing in the little book, How Full Is Your Bucket? It says that a piece of positive feedback is not as impactful as a negative or corrective piece of feedback. All right. So I literally have to catch Brody doing eight things correctly in order to give him a negative piece of feedback. Okay. Now, um, here's the thing, the thing that Brody's doing, it's just this little thing he does, and it's it's starting to drive me crazy. Like, let's say he interrupts in meetings. Okay. Which he does not do.
1: Sounds like something I might do.
0: No, uh, you're not doing it right now. So I don't think you do it. So, but have you ever, have you ever, have you ever worked with an interrupter? Oh, Oh, so irritating, right? Okay. So, uh, so I am really vigilant and diligent to catch Brody doing things good. Now, the first reason you do that as a leader or an owner of a company is that way people go, first of all, the leader is paying attention. Don't miss that. Please don't miss that. The leader is paying attention. (laughs) How many of y'all have ever worked for somebody that you're like, they're not paying attention. And so, uh, it's, it, it's really important to pay attention. So anyway, so she's paying attention to me. Okay. Now, after a lot of positive feedback, Brody begins to think, Nicole's pretty thoughtful. I think she cares about me. In fact, I think she likes me. Okay, and that is so important in a culture uh, for people to feel a sense of belonging. Uh, Does everybody remember Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? You know, one of the things is I've got to have food and shelter. One is I've got to have a sense of belonging or love. So Brody's like, Nicole loves me. She gives me lots of good feedback. And that's a wonderful part of a a culture. Now, if he does something like this interrupting thing, uh, I go to give him that piece of feedback about interrupting and it's going to wipe out all eight positive things i told him because in the book they did the research and they said it's an eight to one ratio like don't miss that
1: that is huge
0: i know and so he's like a little devastated for a minute he's like "Whoa, what you know and might even think i thought you loved me you know i thought you thought i was great and it's like i do and that's why i'm giving you this corrective piece of feedback because on my watch, you're gonna be even more amazing. And of course he goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, I'm gonna stop doing that, okay? So giving uh, feedback, celebrating when people are doing well takes them you know, up to a full emotional bank account. And then that way you can give correction and coaching um, without them getting devastated or mad or getting their resume together. <laughs> and and that paying attention to people is really important and i have a little formula uh, for feedback if you'd like to hear that
1: i would love to and I, I just wanted to kind of make one more note on that you mentioned it's like an emotional bank account i think yeah sounds like you've got to make at least eight deposits to make a single withdrawal is the takeaway there that's right and if you can maybe if you can even make nine or ten deposits per withdrawal then you end up with a compounding Goodwill with your employee. Uh,
0: you nailed it. That's exactly that's exactly the point. And there's another book uh, by the same author, and I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of this gentleman. But his name is Ken Blanchard. He's still on the planet. He's in his 80s, and um, and he wrote lots of books, lots and lots of books. You should read all Ken's stuff. Uh, but his other little book was called uh, the One Minute Manager. And this is again, very old, but so stinking good and classic. And you can read it in an afternoon. And he said, one of the things leaders do is they, uh, MWBA manage MBWA manage by walking around. And that's, that's where you're paying attention. You know, go catch people working hard and then say something. So, so here's the feedback formula that I have. It's called a C3 and it just keeps leaders safe. It just makes you smart you know, gives you, and I don't know about, I mean, Brody and I are all up in the formulas and the tricks and the stuff. And so um, if I can remember this, it helps me do it, do feedback correctly. So the first thing is, is explain the circumstances that you're witnessing. So people know exactly what you're talking about. The next C is the conduct that you're looking at or the tasks that are getting done or the way that people are doing things or the attitude that they have, but conduct is number two. And then the third thing is consequences. So um, did anybody have to take this class called physics? Did you take that? Brody, were you? I did. Remember, remember every action has an equal and corresponding reaction. Do you all remember this? All right. So I think that's all I remember from physics (laughs) class, but uh, it's true in life too, right? So if somebody's doing a good behavior, demonstrating a good piece of conduct, attitude, whatever, it's going to have an impact right back to the impact filter. Right? So, so I look at what the consequences are of this behavior. So it might sound something like this. If it was a celebratory, as I like to call it, I want to celebrate this person. I'd say, you know, Brody, you didn't even know I was watching you this afternoon between two o'clock and three o'clock, but I was waiting on a customer in the lobby and I listened to you answer the phone eight times. Now is that very clear about the circumstances? It's between two and three, we're in the lobby, you're on the phone, and there were eight phone calls. I mean, that's really dialed in, right? Mm -hmm. And then I say to him, you know, it was pretty busy, and you maintained your emotional intelligence. You were quick, you were efficient, but I don't think the customer thought you were too quick. And you had a smile on your voice, and like even people came in the front door and you gave them a little wink like, I'm on the phone man you're a master juggler and you know what i'm really glad you're on our team and i'm i'm proud that we provide such excellent customer service thank you that's a that's an excellent piece of feedback
1: it is i think that another thing that does aside from just um fill the emotional bank account is that it it reinforces the the good actions that you want them to continue taking because i think people don't necessarily automatically continue to take the right actions if they're not reinforced and if they're not rewarded.
0: I I couldn't agree more. And it's like, you know, if you want people to do more of something, celebrate what they're doing, right? If you want them to do less of something, then you're going to have to give a corrective piece of feedback. So, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's pretend we have an employee named, uh, Jack, that's my dog's name. He's over here in the chair. And so, um, so he's taking a nap at the middle of the day. I don't know what he's doing. So let's give Jack a piece of feedback, okay? So it would sound like something like this. It would say, Jack, today at 2.39 p.m. during the workday, you laid in the chair in my office for two hours straight upside down with your paws in the air and got nothing done. And consequently, I'm not sure why I have you on the payroll. No, it's kind of a joke. But what you do is you'd say, Jack, you know, I went by your office and you were on the phone. You were laughing. I think you were talking about your NFL dream team. What's that thing called? Fantasy Fantasy football. Yeah, you were talking about your fantasy football team and I needed to talk to you. And like, I came down to your office like three times. You were still on the phone who, with whoever that was. And consequently, now I'm about 45 minutes behind and I'm concerned about your focus. And then you say this very simple thing. What's up? Okay. That's what you say after you deliver that. Cause people are like, it's weird if you just say that and stop. And I say, well then just throw that on the end. What? What's up? You know, let them explain themselves. I mean, there will be no good excuse for being on the phone, talking fantasy football for 45 minutes, but.
1: I like that a lot. The what's up because to me, what that does is it, it shows them that you don't necessarily think this is a normal thing for them. You think that something must be going on because this is not what you've come to expect from them versus just. If you don't say the what's up, it probably just feels like you're venting at them and just feels like you're upset. And like, this has been building up, but you could say, if you say the what's up, then, it then Jack thinks, wow, you recognize that you, first of all, you're, you're paying attention. Second of all, you recognize that I'm doing something out of my usual character and out of my usual, what you would expect from me.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, and it, it allows people to, to have an out right? Or to Uh, Explain, you know, like oh, I didn't take lunch today. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was on his lunch hour. I have no idea. Um, But uh, you know, if I come by your office and you look at me and don't say, oh, you know, you don't have enough intuitiveness to say, you know, I think she needs me. (laughs) You know, then you know there's a problem. And and we all know that there are uh, bad apples in our barrel or in our bunch, right? And and those bad apples need to be given feedback. And I think it's very very important. And here's why. I'm concerned about that bad apple getting better. First of all, I just want to say, I love people. You know how they go, uh, I'm a people person. Nicole Greer is a people person to the nth degree. I want people to get the benefit of the doubt. I want to extend grace. I want to offer mercy. I want to, you know, I want to do all those things. But if I do all those things and you take advantage of me, then I have to coach you in or I have to coach you out And the way that I will coach you out of the business is by giving you feedback that you need. Now, um, here's the thing. I believe people can change. Now, Rodeo all sorts of places and they're like, people don't change. And I'm like, no, they do. They really do. Um, If they have a caring, loving leader who's on a mission to build a vibrant culture and get their people stoked and to love on them by giving them, again, eight pieces of positive. Catch me doing things right. Tell me what those things are so I do even more of them. It's kind of like you coach the bad behaviors out the back door. You know, um, and I, I've only worked for for like two companies in my whole career where I felt there was what we call a vibrant culture, and it, and those things that we're talking about were were true. There was a leader who cared, a leader who managed by walking around, a leader who offered a ton of feedback. I, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good worker, but my I, John Gray, one of my one of my leaders, he was always on me. And he, and I think it's because he thought she has so much potential. She's got to know, (laughs) I worked like a dog for that guy. And, and we did a lot of fantastic things, uh, together. So, uh, I think giving that feedback is really, really important. So, so that's one of the things that you do to build a vibrant culture.
1: You mentioned that you've only worked for two companies ever that you think had a vibrant culture. Why do you think it's so rare and so difficult for people?
0: Uh, First of all, I think leaders get fatigued and they lose their way. All right, so the number one thing leaders have to do is they have to take care of themselves, okay? Um, And you've got to uh, learn to, okay, so let's talk about delegation for a hot second, okay? So everybody talks about delegation, um, but they, they don't necessarily do a great job of it, right? So one of the things that we have to do inside of our organization as a leader is we've got to sit down every once in a blue moon and we've got to take an inventory of everything that we are doing right? Like literally you're going to have a piece of paper and a pen. This is not rocket science. Don't, don't say to me, well, how do I do that? You get a pen and a piece of paper (laughs) and every time that you do an activity, you write it down and you're like, okay, so I was reviewing the profit and loss statements. I was following up with the regional directors one by one and having a one-on-one with them. I was meeting with the board of directors. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was doing this. I was doing that. Now at some point you're going to be like, My plate is full. So I have to delegate to somebody some of these activities so that I can, A, have some peace, have some rest, and I don't burn myself out because a burned out leader is down the emotional bank account scale, right? Like down the feeling scale. Uh, They're sad, they're mad, they're unhappy, and they wish somebody would help them. you've got to do the hard work of figuring out what are you going to delegate who you're going to give it to and then you have that same conversation that Mr. Sansone had with me right sit in a chair this is what I need you to do the conversation I had with Brody about answering the phone I do an impact filter and I pass these this information off to them so I think the leaders that I had were overwhelmed had too much on their plate and, and we're not scaling properly. And I bet you, you see that all the time.
1: I you know, do. The
0: leader works around the clock. Yeah.
1: I do. It's a, it's a challenge that I face with owners that I talk to. And I actually, I kind of thought of something. I thought of this the other day and you just reminded me of it. I thought there's there's almost a need for this role of like a of a consultant that whose job is literally to follow a business owner around for an entire week and just document every single thing that they do and i i think that if anyone's listening to this or watching this that could be a really good fit for for a position in the market Mm -hmm. because It's just, it's so hard. It's so difficult to do that documentation. If you're in that place and you're so locked down in the business, um, it's the reason I'm growing my company very, very slowly because I'm trying to document everything as I go and you have to move slowly to do that. But I think it allows you to scale properly when you do
0: yeah uh are you familiar with the eos entrepreneurial operating system have you heard of this i actually
1: haven't no what is that
0: okay all right well there's a book by gino wickman um and i think it's called eos i hope i have my story right but anyways he wrote this book oh no i got it it's called traction his system's called eos i got it now all right so um in his, in his book, he talks about what you're talking about, that you know, usually the, the person that starts the company is like the visionary. And usually, usually not always, but a lot of the time, I, I would think 70% of the time, this person is quick to start things and excited about the future and lives 10 years in advance of where they are on the calendar. Okay. There's like, you know what we could do? We could do all these things. Right. And so th- that's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? To begin things and start things. Now, to your point, every uh, visionary uh, needs to have somebody who is the guy or gal who does the everyday stuff. And, that, and in his book, he calls that person the implementer. And It's like they're almost equals, but the implementer is the solid, steady, reliable, systematic, procedure-oriented person that takes the ideas of this excited entrepreneur, the creative, and puts it into a format so that it's easy to follow, repeatable, and scalable. Um, So, Uh, I I think what you're talking about is kind of that scenario, and I think that is a definite way that our head visionary does not get burned out. Plus, this implementer becomes so valuable to the entrepreneur that they are able to say, we're not going to start anything else right now. Because yeah. we don't have the set last seven ideas done, <laughs> you know, but we're going to put it on the parking lot in the conference room, you know, the piece of paper that says parking lot. And we're going to think about that for the future. Um, or we're going to have to hire people or we're going to have to get a loan or whatever all the things are that keep a business, you know, moving forward or scaling. So um, I, I think that's definitely it. So, yeah, the people that I work for that didn't have a vibrant culture, they were not vibrant themselves. And that's huge, uh, Brody. And I, I talk about that with leaders. I'm like, you need to be lit from within personally. Uh, people have to catch on fire from you.
1: You use that uh, that acronym lit a couple times. And I remember we had talked about that in one of our previous conversations. Could you yeah. go over that and just what's involved with being lit?
0: Yeah. So first of all, it's kind of fun. I tell people, I help, I'm going to help you get lit. And they're like, what? <laughs> so uh, what it means, though, is that I'm going to remind you why, you why you started this business or why you took this role as vice president of whatever, or you took this role as CEO of whatever. Um, so most people uh, that are leading an organization, um, I think they want a big fat paycheck. That's true. Like i'll be in charge because i'll get the biggest paycheck i get that but i don't think that's the number one reason that people want to be in a leadership role i think what they want to do is they they want to make a dent in the universe as um steve jobs would say right so so it's like can you remember why you took this role or why you thought this idea or this business was a good idea it probably serves a, a group of stakeholders that that need this business in a serious way, right? And, and so you got to kind of remember that. And then once you have kind of your why reestablished in your mind, you've got to lead people with clarity. And so you need to have a strategic plan. Now, strategic plans, many companies have them. But you know what I am noticing, Brody, is most people, the only strategic thing they do at the end of the year, or before the end of the year, like right now it's October, this is prime budget time. If you have a fiscal calendar that goes from January to December, um, you're probably in the throes of doing budget right now, or you're getting rolling. Okay. Now, a budget is so important, right? Because we have to have this thing, this little funny thing called cash flow. However, a, a budget is not a strategic plan. Most budget processes, like what did we spend th- last year? And what do we think we need to increase it to or decrease it to this year? And so it's more of moving some levers around and it's probably based on some kind of performa or forecast, but a strategic plan is much bigger. It's like, where are we going? What is exciting now? Are budget meetings exciting? Everybody shake your head. No, they're terrible. Okay. Because we're sitting around talking about money and, and money's important, but like we want to spend way more than we can and that's depressing and all that stuff happens in the budget meeting. Now strategic plan is like, okay, what new products, what new services, uh, what markets could we go into? And it should be this thing of, of developing what I call an introspective. Okay. So with strategic planning, I have a look, another little model for you, Brody. It's called IRP, I-R-P. And so you go out to the future and you dream up this most beautiful, amazing future. What's it going to look like? Right. And so you dream up what it's going to look like for five, 10 years from now. Now, a lot of people are like, you're going to go 10 years out. What about... If COVID happens again, well, God forbid that happens again, but you still have to do it anyway. Okay. You have to let your imagination run wild and come up with an introspective. So I'm going to give you a little story to tell, or I'm going to tell you a little story as to listen to, not to tell, to listen to as I go through the ERP. So there's a little company, uh, over in uh, Tennessee and it's called PALS. Have you ever eaten at at a PALS before Brody? Have you ever eaten at this place? I haven't. No. Okay, well I hadn't eaten there till about three years ago and I heard the story about it and I thought, by God, if I get over to Tennessee and I did, I went to Johnson City, Tennessee and I ate at the PALS. All right, so PALS is this little cinder block building. It is bright blue, like the the blue in my Vibrant Culture logo back here. So that's a very bright building. And then they have like a giant hot dog on the outside of it and a giant Coke uh you know, drink on the outside of their building. Uh, you do not go inside to eat. You just go through the drive-through, and they have what they call sudden service. So you literally pull up to the window. There's no there's no talking to the um, speaker. You go up to the window, and you'd like, I'd like a hot dog with chili, onions, mustard, and a diet coke. And they say okay, and you go around the building, and it's hanging out the window. It's called sudden service. All right. So these people are amazing, and I don't know if you eat hot dogs occasionally. Okay, like this- this is a really good hot dog. But anyway, so, uh, you know, have a salad, everybody. But um, so it's a hot dog with a Diet Coke. That's probably chemical warfare. But anyway, so it's delicious. And so you get your hot dog. Okay, now here's the thing. They won the Malcolm Baldrige Award, which is the, one of the highest awards you can get in the United States of America for being excellent. And they applied for it. So this little company uh, decides to, and they and they get it. It's huge. This is a huge accomplishment. Well, then they're like, well, what, what will we do next? We're, we won the Malcolm Baldrige Award. Well, the thing that they did next is they said, you know what? So many people, after they won the Malcolm Baldrige Award, called them and said, how do you do it? So they started a whole fast food training company.
1: Wow. <laughs> so
0: like, that's, that's a vision, right? Yeah. And that's really forward thinking. And so the leaders lead with clarity and they tell the people that work for them here's where we're going we're gonna get the malcolm baldridge award okay and here's how we do it right and then lays out the strategic plan then they say we're gonna start a training company here's how we're gonna do it And, and it's exciting. And the people that make these hot dogs are having a stinking good time because they work for a great company. So that's, that's, that's the L in lead with clarity, cast a picture of the future, get an introspective of how you're going to get it done. Okay. Now the R is retrospective, right? And that is turning around from the future and saying, what is it going to take to get where we want to go? Right. And so that's where the strategic planning comes in. So if we want to win the Malcolm Baldrige Award, what has to happen? Well, first of all, we have to understand what's the criteria. So we're going to train everybody on the criteria for the Malcolm Baldrige Award. We're going to lay out, um, you know, strategies and techniques and tactics that each store has to do. We're going to have a communication plan. We're going to have a change management plan. We're going to have a project manager in charge of this whole thing. These are all the things that have to happen to make it happen. And so once we cast the vision and we get the introspective, we get the retrospective, we figure out what will it take to get there. Then we put them together and we get a prospect and then we start working. And that prospective, like from Propel, it's it's a fired up bunch of people who understand here's where we're going and here's how we're going to get there. And that's ERP. Okay. So that's another little tool underneath the L, lead with clarity. Now, the second thing in lit is integrity. Now, here's, here's what I know. Working with people who have ethics and morals and good character and manners, it makes it a great place to work. But if you work somewhere where people have poor character traits, lousy morals, no manners, it's a terrible place to work. Now, I'll talk to leaders and i am say, you have to work on character. And they're like, I shouldn't have to do that. They, their mama should have told them how to do all that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, congratulations, you're right.
1: <laughs>
0: mama should have told them, grandma, tia, whoever, daddy, grandpa, whoever should have taught them. But here's what I know. I mean, Brody, have you met rude people that are grown, grown people? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And so in your company, you can't allow poor ethics, poor morals, poor behavior, poor manners to kind of go on. You've you've, you've got to have some kind of character development. And so um, there's a couple of things I want to say about that one. Here's another book. Write this down, everybody. It's called Return on Character. It's by Fred Keel, and I think it's K-I-E-L. And in his book, he did research on whether how companies did based on um, character development. So he, he watched companies that intentionally talked about character and had a character development, leadership development program, very robust, and one that had zero. Okay. Okay. And the companies with leadership development and character development, they had five times return on assets. So everybody who's listening that owns a business, what, what, you know, what does your balance sheet say? How how much are your assets? Okay. Is it, you know, $1? Is it a million dollars? Is it a hundred million dollars? What if you had five times return on that just because you are intentional about talking about integrity. Now, the now the funny thing about integrity, Brody, is that like people has have it as a core value, and they think that's enough. Like it's on some sign in the lobby. You know, we're a company of integrity. Well, you got to tell people what that means. You got to explain it. Um, and I think character development is huge. Now, there's a tool that I use in my business. It's called the Tilt. The Tilt, and it's the um, Tilt Leadership Model. And um, have you ever done a personality Assessment before Brody. I bet you your listeners have.
1: I have. I'm a junkie on those. I love it.
0: Oh, okay, great. All um, right, which one?
1: The 16 personalities is the one that I do like as a as a refresher every couple of years. The Myers Briggs one, where it's got like one extra facet too. I love that one. Yeah.
0: Oh, all of them are so good. Yeah. Like, so I'm certified in the Myers Briggs. There's the DISC. There's the Path Element Profile. There's all these things. I got them all in my toolbox. But I'm going to talk about one. The tilt because it tells you your little personality but the reason I love the tilt so sticky much is because it says this is your personality this is your natural bent you know like left to your own devices this is kind of how you're gonna roll that's what personality tests tell you now the tilt says you're a grown person you need to be balanced and conscious of what you're doing so what it, it says in the tilt training is you know you're wired like this but you need to learn to tilt over to these other styles because sometimes the other styles work better in that scenario you're sitting in right so a good example of that is you know obviously you know I've got this personality that's you know outgoing maybe a little loud you know whatever all that uh, and on the tilt mine is called an impact like when nicole goes in somewhere she brings all this energy she's gonna share and you know bring a lot of energy with her it's an impact right now that's wonderful but what if we don't need that right now what if we need clarity right so that's the opposite tilt of an impact is clarity maybe we need to sit still maybe we need to do some research Maybe we need to look at what the data says before we start changing things and talking about things and dreaming stuff up, which is what I love to do, which is also important. But these two things balance each other out, right? Um, And so the, the tilt talks about gaining these other character traits, uh, and you can work on them. Character traits can be taught because I bet you, uh, I don't know, Brody, we didn't talk about your growing up years when we got to know each other on the phone the other day, but did you have somebody in your life that told you, do this, don't do that?
1: Yeah, my mom was pretty good about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right? And so, um, you know, it, it, it needs to continue through our adult life and our work life. Don't do this, do that. And here's why. You know, so for example, um, I, I have a, uh, a young man that, that I've worked with for a little while now. And uh, one of the things about his character is he's a little blunt. And he'll even say, well, I'm blunt. And, and so I was like, so how's that working for you? I did a Dr. Phil on him. I'm like, how's that working for you? <laughs> and, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know. And, and I'm like, well, I, I think that that's probably a problem. Because just think about it, it's like you hit me with a blunt object, you hit me with your words, you know? So there's this other thing, instead of being blunt, um, I could be considerate, which is a much better character trait. So I don't need to hit you with my words, I just need to deliver my words in a way that's kind, generous, thoughtful, considerate. So, you know, we all have a little bit of work to do on, on our character and, and, and it never ends. And, and the last thing I'll say about integrity is that, again, it's confusing to people. They think they've got it. Like bro, do you know that thing you went to w- at the big conference? So I don't, how many people are in the audience? I'm curious.
1: About 5,000.
0: Holy mackerel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So where was it at? Some it was, football stadium or something?
1: It was here in Orlando at the, uh, the Orlando World Marriott Center. It's a massive, massive conference hotel. We've got some crazy ones here.
0: I bet. That sounds epic. All right. So if you asked all 5,000 of those people in the audience, uh, are you a man or a woman of integrity? Everybody would be like, yes, I am. And they'd all be liars. And I know that's so controversial for me to say that, but here's the truth about integrity. It's not a constant thing. It comes and it goes. And, and I, fi- I find that people um, lose their integrity when four things are going on. So remember you asked me the question about the leaders that were not vibrant, didn't have vibrant cultures. These, these are leaders who had fallen out of integrity. Now that sounds like they were, I don't know, murdering people or lying or cheating or stealing money or whatever. It's not that. It's like they just lost their way. They lost their enthusiasm, which is a character trait. Uh, They lost their willingness to go and walk around the building and visit the employees. They lost their ability to be inspirational. See, all of those are character traits. Um, And people lose their integrity when four things are going on. They're hungry have you ever been hangry? I get hangry. I get hangry easy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> I like, I like my square three a day. You know what I'm saying, Brody? And so like, if I miss lunch by five o'clock, I'm like, all right, You're I don't like, care
1: I what's happening. I'm out of integrity until I get a cliff bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Because like, I might be a little short with my husband, I mean, do, should I be short with my husband? Should I be snippy with him? No. Should I yell at the dog, kick the dog? No, I shouldn't do any of those things just because I'm hungry. But sometimes, you know, our physiological thing, which again, bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, you know, so people are hungry, they're angry about something. That's A H A, hungry, angry, lonely. Nobody's paying attention to me, nobody's helping me, or they're tired. So that's halt. H-A-L-T. So when people fall out of integrity, it's usually because they're hungry, they're angry, they're lonely, they're tired, and they're just not bringing their full self. And the word integrity um, comes from the same word as integer, which we all remember from math class means a whole number. And so we're we're just not whole right now. And so we're not on our best behavior. So I think integrity is a huge subject We need to bring to the to the workplace and it will help you build a vibrant culture the companies that use the tilt with me they're working so hard on getting everybody more in balance around their personality
1: i've never heard integrity put that way and i love that because i i have i'm guilty of it i've always thought of it as kind of a character trait maybe maybe a spectrum of a character trait but but not something that is simply just you're you're either whole or you're not and I, I actually love thinking of it that way it makes you feel like wow I, I just need to get these couple things back and i'll be i can make myself whole again and find my way again i'm yeah i need to feed myself or find a way to not be so angry or what was what was Elle again?
0: L- lonely mm-hmm. you know because have you ever heard people say this at work nobody's helping me i'm doing this all by myself and they get a little snippy, and they get a little angry, you know, all the things start happening, right? And and it's like, you know, leaders uh, need to be whole themselves. They need to feed themselves. They need to practice emotional intelligence, which is the opposite of being angry. Um, they need to surround themselves with a beautiful team, which is the opposite of being lonely, who they delegate to. Um, and then if you're tired, you have got to pull away for a hot second and take care of yourself you can't work 12 hours a day seven days a week i I was talking to a gentleman he was telling me that he works 12 hours a day monday through saturday and and i didn't ask him what he did on sunday because i know he just lays in bed (laughs) you know uh and some people go i love it and um and I, i just question it you know uh because there there needs to be balance in your life where you You know i I work hard so i can play hard that's how i live my life you know i mean because like you know this saturday i'm gonna have a blast you know i got plans uh but i'm working really hard today and tomorrow to make saturday happen right and then when i come back on monday i'm like guess what i did this weekend you know um and so some people be like well i don't play hard well maybe playing hard is like you go take a five mile walk in the woods you go to the grocery store you make a big pot of you know spaghetti or whatever and then you drink wine on the back porch that's playing hard you know it doesn't look like hard but you got to have some things that balance you out um, with your work so you can stay lit you can't keep uh burning the fire without putting a log on it right
1: yeah absolutely I'm I'm in um I'm in a little bit of a startup phase with my business right now and so yeah. I've i went from being in a company where i was one of four partners to being in the startup phase and so i was experiencing a lot of the loneliness aspect and i oh. i felt it kind of eating away at my ability to stay vibrant so to speak and i noticed that after going to a couple of conferences and surrounding myself with a lot of because it's it's difficult to to not get lonely as an entrepreneur there were even speakers oh, sure. at these conferences that talked about how being an entrepreneur is walking the lonely road. And so I found personally that surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs and people that were like-minded and working on similar things snapped me right out of that. It just, it really put me back on track. And I think it is really to our benefit to be honest with ourselves about those types of things.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, I I don't know what's going on with like the people who are in your, you know, you, you only have one life. That's the other thing is people are like, you need my professional life or my personal life. This is one life. Uh, but you know, like I have people in my personal life, and they're like Nicole, you're like fifty eight years old. What do you do? You need to work this hard? Do you, I mean like they don't understand the entrepreneurial drive? You know, like my girlfriends want to like play cards and go to the sip and paint or whatever and I like all that stuff too but it's like no I mean I'm I'm gonna work for a very long time because this is my calling my mission my purpose Um, and I think entrepreneurs the reason why they take all this on is because they've got that weird drive inside of them that sometimes people don't understand so it can be very lonely
1: It's isolating at times because you are just in, you're in this position where you're delegating all these things away. It can even be isolating. I've found within an organization because you're, you're kind of, you're positioned up here at the top and then you're delegating these things away. So it's, people don't necessarily feel like they can come to you if you aren't proactive about setting up a culture in which they feel like they can come to you
0: yeah yeah and you know what you're talking about is like is the you know the old open door policy thing so I, I i've got something i want to say about the open door policy that just sparked my brain can i share that absolutely yeah so i don't know who I, we should google it who came up with the open door policy who who drummed that thing up and um sometimes leaders the ones that are unhappy and sad sad mad and unglad is they they don't have any space to think like i can't think straight And that's probably true, you can't think straight because you're allowing the phone to ring and you're answering it. And now, I mean, back in the day, all we had was phone and mail that came from the United States Postal Service. I know y'all can't believe that, you young people. But that's how, and and then we got FedEx and the world changed. We could get the piece of paper in a day. We thought this was a miracle. And now you can get it in a second through an email. But uh, the thing is, is this open door policy doesn't mean your door is open 24 seven. Like that, you need to pull yourself away and be unavailable. And in order to do that, you're gonna to have to, like I said earlier, get things delegated, get people very clear on the outcomes and the impacts you want them to have. And then you have to solicit um, their integrity and say, you know, I need to go strategic plan. I need a hot day to dream up where we're going. So if you all could just handle it, For the next 16 hours i would be really grateful and if people love you they're like we will protect you we won't let anybody get through to you you know unless the building's burning down but we're going to call the fire department first you know and so you know leaders have to um you know protect themselves uh owners of businesses have to protect themselves don't go mia tell people i'm going away to think i'll be back protect me you know while i'm gone take care of things, and and if you have a great team, people who are lit and love you, that's not a problem.
1: By the way, it was a Secretary of State of China in uh, 1899, John Hay, that invented the open Ooh. door policy.
0: <laughs> oh, was it? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, okay, say it again, John Hay?
1: John Hay, John Hay, he invented it oh in gosh. 1899.
0: <laughs> okay, so see, Well, and you know, back in the day, back in the, I mean, I wasn't alive during there, so I'm not that old. But, you know, back when John Hay um, invented this, I mean, there was all this hierarchy, right? You know, and the world was still very militaristic. And, you know, you, you, you know, you were just told what to do and you did it i mean and even in the 1950s 1960s 1970s uh all of your baby boomers that you work with that's when they got their first job and it was kind of like sit at your desk and do your work and don't ask any questions and that's what that's what everybody did because uh, it was still very militaristic we were coming out of world war ii and everybody was just kind of in that mindset uh but nowadays um that's a that 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 hierarchy it needs to be there so we know who's in charge uh in case something goes wrong because in an emergency somebody one one person needs to be in charge uh but other than that we've got to be so collaborative and um we've got to work with each other and we've got to have each other's back right so we can close our door
1: (laughs) exactly and and i think that when you when you create a culture of leaders of people taking leadership on their own that does a lot for the, just the overall productivity and, and the, the culture overall, when people are used to taking leadership, there's just so, you're capable of so much more as an organization and as a movement.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we didn't cover the T in lit and, and it's transform the ordinary. And, and I think one of the things that, um, leaders have to do to have a vibrant culture is they have to explain how business works. To every single employee, everybody that works there. So, everybody's got to understand that a business has to morph and change and grow. That is the nature of a business. A business is like a baby, it has to grow up. Okay. So, just like Brody said, I'm in the startup phase. So, he's got a little infant company but then it's got to become an eight-year-old and then it's got to become a teenager, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, So we've got to tell people that what we're doing today is not what we're going to be doing next year this time. It might be similar, but there's going to be changes. And so we transform the ordinary by having a very intentional change management philosophy. So it's not like we have, a change, we're in a constant state of change. We are, you know, going from the 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 larvae to the butterfly all the time, right? And so we've got to talk about change and the fact that, you know, we can never say this is the way we've always done it. And so it requires a leader to talk about transforming the ordinary, challenging the status quo uh, and moving the needle on our productivity, the products we the services we have, all the things that we have. So, you know, uh, quarterly, at least we're sitting down. It's like, okay, what are we doing? How can we make it better? And so there isn't any rest there. It, that's why it's called work.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you have to explain this field. We're here to work. Okay, but we're going to give you Saturday off. In fact, I'm recruiting right now for a company out in Colorado. Listen to this: they work Monday through Thursday. They work four tens, and mm. the whole company has a three day weekend. Is this a fantastic thing or what?
1: I love that. I think it's. I do too. I, I have a couple of friends that work at Lockheed Martin here in town, and they a lot nice. of their company is on a four ten, and they they seem to really really enjoy it because they they know that they're working all day those four days like they're really after it but then they also it's just it provides more flexibility too
0: that's right it's right and like you can you can go somewhere if you have three days right like you can take off thursday at six o'clock and you can be you know, and if you live in Florida, hello, you could be somewhere fabulous yeah. in a couple hours. Right. And, uh, and you can, and you can, you can work hard, you can play hard. So you know, that's another thing about a vibrant culture is that would be transforming the ordinary. What's the ordinary? Monday through Friday, nine to five. So how do you, how do you, how do you switch it up? Right.
1: I love it. Now. We've talked about a lot of different things here. I know that we talked about the shine framework. We talked about getting lit. We talked about the three C. What are some, if there was one other thing that you could leave the audience with and wanted to just make sure that they understood about this whole thing to tie it all together, what would that be?
0: yeah okay so um, in the shine coaching methodology we talked about self-assessment ask people how they're doing make them take ownership of their performance their productivity you know who they are what they're doing all that stuff the H is habit work okay so what habits make a company great which habits make your company great get those instilled in people we talked about integrity the N is for next right steps and we talked a little bit about strategic planning but I will say this as well is sometimes A big giant dream, a big giant vision, we may not have to get everything figured out, but we do have to get up today and do the next right step. Because the closer you get to the goal, the the more light is shed on what needs to be done. So, you know, it's like I'm overwhelmed. Okay, what's your next right step? The thing I'm going to leave everybody with, though, is the E in my shine coaching methodology. Now, here is the truth about your business. If all of your employees and you were picked up by a UFO this afternoon and taken away, nothing will get done in your business for the rest of the day. Like I don't care what products and services you have. I don't care if you've got some whiz bang thing the whole world needs. If you can't get it out the door, you can't get it delivered, you can't get it serviced. It don't matter. (laughs) It just does not matter. So you got to have human resources and inside of every one of your human resources and inside of you as a business owner or a leader, are six energies and they are this and the first one is intellectual energy you you have to teach people things you have to pass on knowledge uh one of the things i'm doing right now is i'm doing some succession planning with a manufacturing facility um you know we're looking around we're like hey everybody here could you know get an aarp card and they've got silver hair and you know all this and so we better figure out who's going to take over. So sometimes people have institutional knowledge that they need to be handing down. We've got to pass the knowledge around. You've got to feed people's brains. The next thing is, is people have emotional energy. We already talked about that, about their emotional bank account, right? You've got to keep people's hearts in the game. Third thing is spiritual energy and spiritual energy is, is really at the heart of a vibrant culture. It's where the leader's excited, the leader is loving what we're doing, the leader is managing by walking around, uh, messaging appropriately, being inspiring and teaching all the other leaders how to do that. And it's kind of like this esprit de corps, it's French, and it means spirit of the heart, okay? And so it's the spiritedness, this enthusiasm. Um, so you've got to tell people stories and you've got to share with them why they should get behind what we're doing. So you've got to be a little bit of an inspirational speaker if you're a leader. Uh, the next energy is physical energy. Okay, you've got to have a wellness program. And here's my big thing: stop having pizza parties. Buy everybody and I, um, you know, grilled chicken salad at the next meeting. Stop buying pizza. Feed people good food. You know, get rid of the vending machines. You know, buy bowls of apples and you know and bananas and you know, grass fed beef jerky or whatever your thing is and have that stuff sitting around. Okay. So, uh, and give people an opportunity to go walk, uh, to go to the gym, uh, to get a massage, something, get, get a health savings account thing as part of your benefit program. Uh, so physical energy, we got to pay attention to that. And the leaders need to emulate it. Like the leaders look like, need to look like they're on the health and wellness program. I'm just saying. Okay. And then, um, physical energy, uh, then there's social energy. And you've got to build a great team around yourself. You've got to have competitors that you're friendly with. You know, sometimes you can't do the job. You got to call a competitor (laughs) that would do it just as good as you. Um, And then finally, there's the energy of money. You got to have your, your, your personal bank account under control. And then a business needs to have that budget I talked about has to have, you know, sound fiscal process procedure. So there's six energies in a human resource and inside the company uh, that we need to pay attention to. And so there's all sorts of strategies, systems, tips, techniques I could share about all that. But
1: Wow. That's that is, important. That is good stuff. <laughs> the um the health one, I'll I'll share a little personal story about that. My please. My girlfriend has a a long commute to work almost an hour, depending on traffic each way, and she was just feeling very burned out at one point. And she started using her lunch hour to go get a workout in and it was completely transformative, like completely transformative. She just felt way less burned out during the day, like on a weekly basis, just because she was kind of resetting herself in that way and keeping herself healthy. I, I think taking that time to get in a little bit of workout during the day is it's very underrated so i I like that you included that as one of them
0: yeah you know um if i could share real quickly i've got a a company i work with they're down in south carolina i'm in north carolina and they give people you know how you can get like you know i have the iwatch and it has the fitnessy thing on it well um there's the fitbits and so you can get a fitbit that's like 30 bucks and you get a Fitbit that's like 300 bucks and they buy for every employee that works there, the fancy one. Wow! And so like on day one, they're like, here's your Fitbit. And like, it, it doesn't matter what your you know, physical status is. They're like, here's your Fitbit. And um, we want to encourage you to get 10,000 steps in a day. So if you have a meeting, we'd like you to walk and talk. If you're taking a phone call, we'd like you to walk and talk if you can, you know. And so they have these contests who has the most steps. And when you go to their place, it is a vibrant; it is full of energy because there's all these people walking around, <laughs> and and they are creatives. The work they do is creative. And so uh, the other thing is there's a, a big connection between getting your blood blood flowing and getting your brain working. And so the leader understands the physiology behind this. And so don't miss this. He took his financial energy, $300 bucks a pop, and he doesn't have that many new hires, right? Like maybe two a month, one a month, Then there's no new hires. You know, like he's behind six or seven of these things a month, a year. It's the best money this guy spends. Get everybody walking.
1: I completely agree. I I love hearing stuff like that. we too. We actually, in my previous company, two of the of the other partners were just they were we were working so hard and they were feeling like they were having a tough time getting in their exercise and so we did something similar we bought the, as a company i already had one uh i'm wearing it right now i, I love it but we bought two do you have a whoop i have a apple watch oh okay me too but we bought uh an apple watch for the two of them and then what we decided to do is we had very set structures for what we were all paying ourselves, but we decided, Hey, if you got, you guys are really trying to, to be healthy and to try to keep your health in check. And you felt very busy in order to kind of prioritize that let's just decide we'll have certain incentives that you can get as bonuses. If you hit your health objectives and it really did help them because they were able to track it and show it. And then they, they got the bonuses and they would feel healthier at the same time. I think. Putting some kind of corporate wellness program, is what I would call it, into your company is a really, really underrated, not prioritized thing that people should be doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, because here's the truth. You know, if you feel bad in your body, you're thinking about it instead of thinking about your work. And if you feel good, you're not worried, you know, like my back doesn't hurt today. So I'm I'm up, up and out of my chair, I'm running around, I'm getting stuff done. Um, so your physical well-being is is so vital.
1: I completely agree. Nicole, is there anything else that you would want to leave the audience with today?
0: Well, I, I, I have so loved being here today and um, I, I loved going through the Shine Coaching Methodology with you. Um, I, you know, I think if I was going to just say one more thing, I would just say, you know, um, one thing about habit work is, um, you know, you put one good habit in place, it will chase a bad habit out the back door. So, uh, you know, think about a habit you want to put in place, and that you know the old thing was it took thirty takes thirty days to get a good habit in place. Well, they've debunked that. It depends on the human. <laughs> it's it's just all over the board. There's no way to quantify it by thirty days or whatever. But I think uh, getting a habit tracker uh, app on your phone is really important. Um, and I think you know leaders, you know, they might be thinking, I can't tell people to put habits in place, and I'm like, absolutely, you can. You know, you can tell people, you know, like, you know, I, I, A, I want you to be on time, uh, B, I want you to meet your deadlines, you know, number three, you know, I want you to keep your office cleaned up. You know what I mean? People who work in a clean environment do much better work than people who work in a mess. So, you know, you could challenge your employees to work on a habit, keep each other accountable uh, for a period of time and, and, you know, see just like you could get your steps in how many great habits you could get in in a year
1: i love it and it just goes back to what you said before people can change if they have the right leader
0: Percent, that's right that's right somebody who who's challenging us and who is doing the work his or herself
1: that's the key lead by example
0: there it is it's an oldie but a goodie
1: well i've loved having you on so much this has been insightful wonderful A breath of fresh air and and very Oh,
0: thank you. Of
1: course. And and very tactical at the same time. I think I think it's really important to make these things tactical and actionable. And I think you do a really great job of that with all these frameworks. So thank you for that.
0: You're welcome.
1: Absolutely. And this has been Nicole Greer on Profession Session. And we're going to go ahead and tune out there. And that's a podcast.